Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Greg Talks. I'm your host, Greg. And today we have another special guest with us today. She has over 25 years of experience being a 2D compositor. She is a producer and pipeline specialist for 2D and 3D animation. And she is the founder of the Animation Lounge. Everyone, please welcome Miss Sonia Carey. Hello, everyone. What a great introduction. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, and today I'm just going to ask you a few questions in regards to your journey uh, in the animation industry and also uh, with your business, the Animation Lounge. Yeah, and that's um, okay. We'll save that as the icing on the cake, the animation. <laughs> exactly. So my first question is, where did your love of animation come from? And how did you get to where you are now, like in the industry? Um, it's it's one of those things that I, you know, you fall into animation and then you fall in love with it. But it it's such a, a place that when you get into it, you know, it takes care of like, no matter where in life you're going, um, you know, using your psychology degree or using your engineering degree or your art skills or, um, you know, maybe you're an accountant or a lawyer or like we have so much. It takes care of so many things that you are, if you're the least bit interested in entertainment, which is what I was, I was a drama major at university and I had a, a psychology, it was like a double major and I was always a fine artist as well. So just kind of a, somebody who's kind of torn between art and, you know, business. And when I graduated, I moved to, to California and I couldn't work for the first year while I waited for my immigration process. So I just started, you know, as an artist, I was like, what can I do to make money on my own? And I thought I could start making like graphic cards, like, like animating greeting cards, but I didn't really know what animation was. So I took a class, um, kind of just a fun intro to animation class. Uh, just to see what it was about and mostly I was looking to make it like cards you know graphic cards and um, it just kind of opened up this world that I didn't even know existed where there are like camera people and, and artists and um, everything so I got a job um, right almost right away on as soon as I could work on the Ren and Stimpy show okay. and it was uh, like a, like just like the show at the time was such a big deal and we had a lot of exposure to some really talented artists and um, John Lucy was like super inspiring so I just from there went uh, from studio to studio and made my way back to Toronto um, I really wanted to move back and I read about uh, Nelvana in a magazine and um, the magazine, you know, it, it just kind of talked about this new digital platform that they have, but we were already doing digital medium in California. Like we would scan the paper because everything was still drawn on paper, right. but we would scan it and they had their the first, I believe, ink and paint digital system where you finally took it off paper into a computer, you could color it, put in the camera work. So Nelvana was just coming up with this kind of technology. I was like, well, I'm already doing that. So I'm going to apply for the job. And um, they immediately interviewed me and hired me pretty much the next day because people weren't really doing that yet. This was a new kind of um, 
technology that was taking off in animation where you could get rid of half of the paperwork, you know. And so I, I took a job and I came back to Toronto and and I really, it's just like a, you know, something that when you're in and you're really in and you're passionate about it, you can just keep bettering your skill set. I was always kind of pushed into management, no matter what, even if I was just compositing or um, a background artist or whatever, I was always kind of pushed into a managerial position. So becoming a producer was like compositing was such a great foundation because I kind of knew everything. Like I knew how to animate and I knew how to, you know, do some special effects. So because I could kind of talk the language that the artists were talking. Um, it made me a producer who could now understand like really not just how things look on a schedule, but how long things actually take. And so I'm kind of in the trenches with the artists as more of a technical person than, you know, you can be a producer who's more like a numbers person, more on the accounting side and, right. you know, take care of that. But um, I like to be on the technical side, figuring out um, that's where pipeline solutions come in because things don't always work the, the way we think they're going to. You know, you set out with a plan and a budget and suddenly things start to fall apart so instead of accepting that they're falling apart i like to come up with like these kind of roundabout solutions to get things done and it's not um it's not easy it's like a whole mm -hmm. range process you know but it comes up like you know with statistics and people who love numbers that's a really important thing when you take human emotions out of things and you look at things in a numerical way, you, you kind of think, well, that is possible. Why isn't it happening? Okay, it's because people are, there's an emotional factor here. You know, somebody's sad or depressed or, hold on, I'm just gonna turn down my family noise at the back there. No, it's no problem. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. But um, so basically just moving into new and like further and further and, and, and up and up in the, um, you know, the hierarchy in the studios, you just kind of get, you, you know, I'm, I'm just in it. There's nowhere else for me to be. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, my second question is kind of going to go back to like your educational years. So like when you were in college, uh, how did you make yourself stand out? like different companies you may have been interested in wanting to be hired or... uh, it, that's not exactly the route I took you know when I was in um, college I really you know I loved being an actor but I was really um, I didn't realize how much more I loved what you know people were doing behind the scenes like the, like the lighting and the sound and the camera stuff so I was always trying not not to stand out on the stage. I was always like, I never really felt comfortable. Okay. And I realized I was like, I'm not even trying to push myself forward here. I'm, I really am happier up on the catwalk doing, you know, like plugging things in and figuring things out. So once I could figure that out in my mind, I had already graduated and realized like I just wanted to kind of work with things that move and, and technology and so what I did was made myself stand out in studios that's um, once you get to work 
you have to find a way to to let people see you know i'm willing to do more i'm willing to stay a little later i'm willing to come in a little earlier to learn what you're what you're doing um give me an opportunity to do a job that i really don't know how to do but let me learn it um and so I'm, i was always like trying to you know show not just through my voice but by just proving myself with my physical work like people going wow that's actually really good like what you're doing is great and communication skills are are so important because the way you you speak to people um, it shows that you can hold a conversation and you know um, you you'd be able to speak to clients and and other you know leads and supervisors and, and hold your own in a conversation so that's important as well so would you say like that's the biggest skill that you utilize was just uh communication um and just the you know it's a lot of problem solving in animation because you get sometimes a pile of what we call assets like you have a background and yep. a character and special effects and they're like make a, you know make something nice make a scene and you're like okay you know everything is like living inside of a computer and, and there's like coding and uh, you know node-based software and there's no really there's no one way to get things done but if you're the person that's always finding the right way finding the fast way but also producing really nice artwork it makes you suddenly you know more valuable people will want to know like how did you do that how are you getting things done quicker than other people so I'm using like a like a skill set that's in problem solving, and when you look at and I like looking at numbers and statistics. And um, if I'm like doing something, I'm like if I stop doing this one step, I'm gonna go quicker. You know, I'm taking out one thing that's setting me back, and always thinking, how can we go quicker, but but still keep it, you know, really the quality really nice. So. Okay. I hope that was a good answer. <laughs> it was. I, I do think efficiency uh, when it comes to problem solving is one of the most important things when you're doing like anything uh, because, you know, things do have to get done in a timely manner, but you still want to have an upkeep of quality at the same time. Yeah, there's always curveballs and there's always um, like things that are surprising you. So you have to learn how to just deal with them find a new way and not you know let everything take you down just keep keep marching forward no matter what comes flying at you and then that does lead me to my next question uh what challenges uh have you faced so far like in the industry or what are some of your biggest challenges i think um for me, it was like the decision to, you can't be both at some point being an artist and a, you know, production person or a producer. Mm -hmm. They don't always go hand in hand. And I always wanted to hold on to my art, you know, and just keep, like, I was always like, yeah, I can be a production manager who's always an artist or, mm -hmm. or a producer who's always, you know, who's taking up some more difficult shots. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. So that was, hard for me to really separate those two sides of myself but I do um, do a lot of artwork at home on my own time so that it keeps that kind of uh, that side of my brain happy okay. and then I think just sometimes being uh, you know it's 
it's better now, but um, often there are a lot of male voices in the room with us. And sometimes as a woman, I feel like maybe it's, uh, you know, in a creative field, the creative people are usually men, like at the top, like the directors and the lead writers and the yeah. you know, mm -hmm. uh, art directors. There's a lot of male presence there. Mm -hmm. The storytellers, you know. So on that larger creative side, I I would like people to hear my creative voice, and that's been very challenging. Okay. Yeah. That now leads me to this though. Um, have you ever had to deal with an equity and inclusion issue while at work? Since you did mention, uh, you made it a point to mention how uh, there definitely is a majority of male creative voices and not so much uh, female creative voices and well, especially African-American ones. Yeah, I think um, that's that's definitely a part of me that I'm starting to, to face, you know, like um, mm -hmm. I always felt like oh, I'm just, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not different and I'm being treated the same as everyone else and I'm, you know, not fa facing those challenges, but it's definitely um, something I've had to definitely face and come to terms with so mm -hmm. it, it's I think a, a lot more challenging for me um, especially uh, like when you rise you know a little bit higher in the in the hierarchy and you're with like really major players mm -hmm. you got a seat at that table you know for somebody like me it's been it's it's taken a long time and a lot of experience where other you know people might rise quicker and get a lot more help you know I've had to help myself a lot along the way okay um, and it's yeah it's it is hard and it is also hard to come to terms with you know because you kind of feel like you want to be I, mm -hmm. you, I myself like everyone else but when I step back and really take a look at it like uh, really I'm not you know I, things could have been a lot different easier a lot more doors would have opened a lot more easier if I were um, a man for example and if I weren't definitely a, a, a black woman mm -hmm. um, it's harder to get that seat at the table and keep it and be taken seriously in that seat and then I did I do get a lot of um, I guess it's called imposter syndrome because they have for yeah. it now where sometimes you are there and you're like why am i here how did i get here why you know i'm in this technical forum with uh, a lot of really great minds engineers and, and scientists and you know great filmmakers and i'm like i shouldn't even be here like i you know but that's just all that stuff where you've been kind of, kind of kept down yeah thought your way to the top so yeah it's interesting a lot of stuff going on in, internally for sure and like as that as you've faced some of those internal struggles and like setbacks um how have you dealt with those things i wanted to make my own ceiling i realized you know all this started to come to light uh, you know a, few, a couple of years maybe yeah two years ago i decided to create the animation lounge where I would make the freedom for myself to teach and create 
in the way I want to and be my own my own producer where I can say all the yeses to me that I want. <laughs> so I yeah, I think if you know there's glass ceilings and invisible ceilings, you have to create your own. You know, so basically I'm building my own endless uh, endless amount of opportunity on my own so it's been great like just teaching keeping people motivated learning and teaching software which keeps my creative side um, happy so yeah just creating my own creative space and I tell my own stories and make my own artwork and it's um, yeah it's fun yeah that's that's also why um I know I've been told this and uh, I try to encourage other people to like start their own thing like early because you know having something of your own that you get to dictate um, is just a different kind of energy you know it just feels good to like own something and to like watch it grow. Yeah no it's really not just rewarding but you suddenly have given yourself an opportunity that might have taken you 25 years to get you know you right. build a business and suddenly it's like wait a minute I'm able to, to tell a story and put it out on YouTube or Instagram or whatever like it can be the tiniest cartoon but you made it you produced it nobody said no you can't do that you know right so, yeah then you have the power you know artists are very powerful and everybody can just remove all of those obstacles and create their own little space where they produce their own films. That's a part of what I promote too. Is there any like independent uh, projects that you've taken a liking to on YouTube that have like cropped up the last couple of years? Um, not so much on YouTube, but I do communicate with a lot of artists on Instagram, uh, mm -hmm. sorry, on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. and Instagram but LinkedIn is I think everybody has their favorite kind of social media platform but I think LinkedIn works for me because I'm just like I can just scroll through in the night and you can message people and um, just you know it goes out to, to them immediately and it's yeah I like and I find a lot of artists that way and not really any short films yet but just great great artwork the people that I want to work with and keep in touch with and see what they're doing yeah because yeah. I know um, lately I mean there there has been one I know that's been really going up um, in popularity on YouTube uh, it's guy called Hasman Hotel and a lot of people I know on Instagram uh, been making like fan art and everything of it so I was just trying to see if you uh, knew about that one in particular because I was definitely look it up after this. Yeah, because I was just kind of, I'm not going to lie, I was amazed at how big and how fast it blew up, <laughs> like an original idea on YouTube. Um, yeah, it's definitely quite something, though, because, you know, it, it, it kind of makes me think, like, why people didn't try it in the past. But, yeah, but I don't know why a lot more people don't. It's such a great platform, and you can have a channel and have a huge audience and yeah I I do have a YouTube channel with one I'm trying to put like people's films on there who've completed the film and it's a really great independent film that's never really been seen mm -hmm. so 
I have one on there right now that um, is just done by this great animator who did the whole thing on his own, and it's like 20 oh, wow. long, and it's really, really great. But yeah, I'm always looking out for stuff like that, so I'll, I'll look. Okay. Um. So, like, what um, are your core values, and how do those motivate you to, you know, keep going with your work? Um, I think ultimately I'm just a, you know, I try to just be a good person and that, that kind of translates into my work. So just being like, um, clear and honest with myself and with the people I work with and clients, you know, it's not always a, a really good uh, situation, but I don't also want to sweat it out and and be dishonest with myself. Like I have limitations on what I can get done and how what time frame I can get them done in. So that's um, that part of me, just being a nice person and having some sort of uh, integrity, it just carries me through every day. And sometimes it's well received, sometimes it's not. But I try to just be honest and, and upfront every day. I'm also have a huge work ethic like I like to finish things even if it's like so hard and I'm like you know I could just walk away at any minute I don't like to leave people in a in a predicament so I do like to finish and that's one thing I think people can say is that I really stuck it out and toughed it out for them and helped bring in some pretty big projects on time and it's uh I, Sometimes it's a little, you know, two in the morning-y, but I got to stop that. <laughs> uh, yeah, just huge work ethic. And uh, I know I told you that I kind of found you, like, through Google, but something I also, because I always get, like, surprised when I find out that, um, you know, you worked on, like, projects that I loved uh, when I was younger, but... Uh, I noticed that you have a Princess and the Frog poster behind you, and I do know that you were quite integral to that film being produced. And I also know you worked on the Proud Family movie as well. So how was working, like, when you were, like, on the crew for those films, how was that experience? And then secondly, are you working on the reboot? for the new Proud family. <laughs> I wish. No, the Proud family movie, I had started my own little studio way back uh, called Make a Scene, and that mm -hmm. studio lived in my basement of my house, and I was just doing commercials and small projects for people. Mm -hmm. I'd bring home like boxes and boxes of paper, like, you know, on animation that was drawn on paper. And I, would, I had a scanner and I would scan them, scan and, like, and then I would paint them. So I had my own digital ink and paint system and composite because I could see it through to comp and you know out to, to post by myself in my basement. So people would, I did you know a lot of Kellogg's commercials, uh, Tony the Tiger and um, <laughs> that whole thing, Snap, Crackle, Pop. <laughs> And then this, one of the companies that I was doing the Kellogg's commercial for, they got um, 
five minutes of the Proud Family movie. And they said, you know, we can't really fit it in the studio. Could you do it? It's just five minutes. It's a, it was a five minute, the ending of the Proud Family movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. And literally mountains of artwork arrived at my house, like boxes and boxes of paper. I was like, oh my God. Because five minutes of animation, you know, it's like a lot of drawings. And, um, but I did it. Like, so I really had just, myself and all that artwork and some we have exposure sheets and I was because I could read exposure sheets and I just kind of went away at it on my own and I watched the proud family just to get a sense of what it looks like and you know the making sure I had the colors right and everything so I produced all of that from my basement and um, when I met met Bruce Smith uh, we both worked on the princess and the frog Mm -hmm. it was like years later, you know, we, we did that movie and I saw him at a party and I said, did you know that I, you know, worked on The Proud Family? And he's like, no, and I'm just like a person in Toronto and he's, in, he's like, how? Mm. And I said, well, you know, the company that you were working with, they gave it to me and I, I was working closely with that studio, so they trusted me and I said I did it in a basement in Mississauga, Ontario. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, but I could do it, like, because when you can do everything, like, manage the production, plus do all the artwork and the compositing and paint backgrounds. I painted all the backgrounds for that five-minute ending, too, which I don't know if he knew until maybe this moment. But I did everything inside of uh, Toon Boom, even the background artwork. I took it out of Photoshop and did it in Toon Boom instead because it was quicker. And that's what I'm like. I'm like, I got to think outside the box. I got to come up with some new ways and then uh, the princess and the frog was just a it was a time when I did a series of, of features and when that one came along it was like um, just working with the Disney um, producers and executives they were really like just so I'd never been on a feature that was so loved by everyone like everybody just was believing in it and the research and the the motivation behind that film was something I'd never experienced and I got to you know go down to the studio in LA and see the concept art and all the research that went into it uh, from New Orleans and it was amazing so it was just cool to be on something that was so great and then they really because of having a black woman working away on the technical side in Toronto was something they didn't you know account they're like this is amazing so they could ask me like you know things like how I felt about how she looks and how does she represent and all that and I just do what I do like I just said it's she's beautiful and she's just you know like the whole throwback movie the whole classical feel something that you want to watch over and over and again they captured that I've watched it like 20 times. <laughs> yeah, it's Yeah, it's just such a great movie. So, and it was like the year of Obama and, you know, so much change yeah, and too. a feeling of inclusion was, was starting to happen. So it was just a great honor to be in that moment on that film and uh, got to work with some really amazing artists. And I uh, got, yeah, we had a really great party in, in L.A. Lassiter and, and people like that. Oh, so, wow. Mm-hmm. Mm, 
experience. Yeah, that that definitely must have been something too, because uh, John Lasseter is, uh, to my knowledge, considered a pretty big name. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was real. And uh, Oprah was the, one of the executive producers of that film as well, and I think, and she did do the voice of Tiana's mom. Yep. And uh, but she did not come to the party, and I'm still sad about that. I was waiting for her all night. <laughs> <laughs> so it was great. Okay. One of a kind. I always say that's the pinnacle. That's why she's hanging back there all the time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah, I always uh, very much appreciate uh, the work that you guys did on that film in particular because that's like, I think, one of the last films that kind of has that 2D magic. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) it's very much. I think it's the last one to be done entirely on paper, followed by Winnie the Pooh, which is um, the next Mm -hmm. poster. Winnie the Pooh was done right after. We did it like back to back and... Winnie the Pooh, I don't believe, was meant to be a theatrical release, but they released it that way anyway, so it really didn't... It was a really great film, but it didn't get the, you know, the eyes on it that it should have. Um, But I think officially that was the last one. Winnie the Pooh was the last one done on paper, but the Disney princesses, yeah, Tiana was the last one done in that classical style. Now it's kind of classical inside of a computer, which is not the same as well. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of a shame because, like, my next question is going to be, like, where do you see, like, the future of animation going? Because me, personally, I know after seeing, like, a film, like, Into the Spider-Verse uh, and stuff, which was definitely kind of caught a lot of people off guard because it's, it has that very much 2D aesthetic, but they... Uh, were able to combine it with 3D so well that it just kind of was a perfect mesh. Um, but at, at the same time, like, it makes me wonder, like, if, if we're ever going to go back to 2D at some point, because I know, like, CG and 3D animation is so good, and it's not that it's, like, bad, but, you know, 2D still I has a place. Um, I mean, Klaus was just done mm-hmm. in the 3D style. And yeah, uh, that, that was amazing too. It's, like it's not all on, it's not on paper, but it is, you know, it's drawn mm-hmm. in, by hand in the computer. So it, it, it's kind of coming back, but it's, um, it's definitely not, it doesn't have the feel as when it was on like on paper, you know, there's something about flipping the paper and mm-hmm. uh, seeing like the little imperfections i think maybe in the computer everything is just too perfect yeah sometimes the imperfections like those jittery frames you know like you're watching the lines and they're all wiggling i think Mm -hmm. that makes it just feel something charming about that that's missing now yeah i know like when um when i whenever i get around to making my show (laughs) um i definitely want to like take it back uh, to 2D, I know at that point it'll be so rare, uh, or you might stop seeing it. Period. But I really want to do that because for me, all, all the all of my favorite animations um, were are mostly like 2D. Uh, the ones that I grew up with, uh, being a '99 baby and 2000s kid, 
so yeah because i don't know I, there, there's just something about actually having as you said before with those lines and the the flipping the pages and stuff like you know it just makes you feel something different and i kind of want people to feel that again <laughs> yeah i think as soon as you treat it like that you can't help but feel something you know you can see all the craftsmanship and hmm. all that that's going into it yeah, and the, just the imperfections that you can't get from the computer. Unless you try to make it messy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But um, my last question for you is what advice uh, can you give to uh, aspiring young creatives that want to pursue animation? Uh, it depends like if you're trying to be a creative on your own you know like just um, know that if you stick to something if you have an idea and you finish it it's all about the finishing like we all like I'm terrible at that like I start tons of different kinds of artwork or little ideas here and there and there but if you stick to one thing and do it and do it well someone's gonna look at it you know someone's gonna see it somewhere if you produce like by yourself your own little series and you you know you're just releasing something new every day it's just like a couple of seconds or or whatever people are gonna start to notice you know just finish things for yourself that's important and then if you are gonna try and, and get you know into a studio um, make sure that you you know you be the best like we sometimes we feel like entitled like I should get this job just because of you know they should hire minorities they should you know do this and that's that's all true but you also have to be good at what you're doing like make sure that you are the best person in the room the best candidate and always like at home I'm always learning like I teach myself software just to like a little bit every night just because I'm interested you know I want to find out how can I do this and how can I do that and I like to give myself little projects so and when I'm teaching the animation lounge before I teach a class I teach myself you know I don't want to go in and not know all the answers so that that keeps me learning so I, I think that's important keep learning keep being the best don't just you know arrive thinking well I should be here because you should be of course but you should also be really good at what you do and socialize a lot like it this is a very social industry mm -hmm. a lot of schmoozing and getting to know people getting to know like like the industry events and signing up for workshops you know a lot of people come to my workshops just to network before COVID-19 I had a round table after the classes where people could have a coffee or a glass of wine and we would just studios just meeting each other and talking and I, I like to go to events just to just be seen you know and see people and see what's going on see who's new what people are up to yeah just keep up with new software new trends um, and just be curious you know, it's important all right well thank you miss Sonia Carey for uh, being here and answering my questions uh, you know, you once again are an inspiration to me and so many others. So we just implore you to keep doing what you're doing. 
Oh, thank you very much. I I'm always surprised still when people find me and say that to me, but um, I do uh, I do love to give back. So having this chance to talk to you and and have people maybe look at the workshops or just you know try and find out about different events is important. So thank you for finding me. <laughs> no problem. Okay. listen to more episodes of Greg Talks, you can subscribe to the podcast on anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or subscribe to my YouTube channel, Greg Talks, G-R-E-G-T-A-L-K-Z.